recitation of Holy Scripture. Don't look at your order of worship. It's the wrong text. <laughs> Preachers plan and God laughs. I was going to preach that text up until about Friday morning, and then I felt the spirit move and thought we'd get right to it. So here's the text. It's from Psalm 118. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Why don't you say it with me? This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. In between services, I found myself in Reverend Stone's office, and she told me a joke. She told it to the chambers, and I want to try it out on you. Uh, you hear about the two caskets in the funeral home at night? One of, them, one of them looked at the other and said, is that you, Coffin? Is it as bad as I think it is? Oh, yes. But she said that was a gift to Nick and I because we needed to get more dad jokes in the arsenal. So now that we have that aside, I think we can go ahead and begin with prayer. And as I've been practicing with you, I, I think breathing is important. So let us take a deep breath in and then exhale the breath from your lungs and then sense in the breath of God as we prepare to focus on this psalm of the scriptures. Breathe in. Exhale all your lungs. And breathe in the breath of God. God of good gifts in life, we love you. We ask that you meet us here in the thinking and dreaming about this ancient song of your people. Send your spirit. For you and I know that without you I can do nothing. So we do ask that your spirit falls gently in this place and everywhere that my voice can be heard that this psalm would bring newness of life in the hearts of believers. Let us be a people of gratitude, God, for we know that you have made us for it and you make every good and perfect gift. We say thank you. We say thank you for grace and thank you for the love revealed to us in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forevermore. Amen. You've heard me tell from this space about my childhood church and how I used to play drums underneath the old southern gospel hymns that we would sing in this country church. I taught, or I learned how to play drums with hip-hop beats and rock and roll beats, and so I'd always put them under these old southern gospel swinging hymns. I'm sure it was a train wreck, but that pastor at that church wanted to nurture me, and so he made space for me to play. I remember sitting over to the side on my kit, playing what was no doubt a wonderful drum beat applied to the wrong sort of music. And we sang the song. I, I didn't like it. I didn't like most of our songs. It wasn't really my scene, but these were the songs we sang. The song we sang went like this. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. And I was... Bah, bah, ta, bah, 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 
right up under it. I can even hear it and I can dance to it because I got this good groove going with it. As I played and I tried to bring a little hipness to this country church, a cognitive dissonance entered my brain as I looked around. The people were in exuberant joy worshiping. I mean, there was eyes closed so tightly. I don't know how you could close them any more tightly. There was hands in the air. There were smiling faces. There were people stomping on the chancel as they sang with the choir. Clapping of hands. Belting this joyous, raucous worship out from their bellies. As I look over here, halfway back was Peggy. Peggy was wearing what I can only consider to be a smock. I don't know women's clothing very well, but it, it looked like an old shower curtain draped over her. And she was in such joy, I didn't understand why. It was just a year before that her daughter was murdered by her son-in-law. Over here was Joe. Joe's face was redder than a turnip. His blood pressure was out of control. He was diabetic. Joe always looked like he was about to fall over. Yet Joe was about dancing in the pews with such joy. And then there was a gentleman in the back. I never really got to know him, but he couldn't walk without his walker. He had one of those walkers that had the tennis balls on the front of the, uh, the feet. And even though he needed that to walk and mostly to stand, he would wave his arms in the air to this song. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice. And be glad in it. How could they be so joyful when life around them was so hard? Now, I do confess a bit of solidarity in that moment, even though this wasn't my favorite hymn, even though it wasn't my favorite style of music. I think the spirit kind of came over me, sensing the joy of the space and the people, and I got caught up in it. And that's not saying nothing. Because at the time, I was simply a snot-nosed, self-entitled, self-involved teenager who was hardly ever satisfied with what I had in life. It is simply easy to be discontented in our modern world, isn't it? Our entire economic system is set up so that you won't find contentment. Instead, we find the desire within us for more and then some more and then when we've had that more still it is very simple to be malcontent today i once was dating a gal and she let me know on her birthday she expected an entire day worth of festivities because the year before i had done that and so i'd set the bar too high young men out there don't set the bar too high too soon now you should always do the most for who you love, right? Nevertheless, I found myself shopping, trying to buy all these great gifts, and I planned out in a day, a day-like trip and an adventure, and I was going to give her presents throughout the day so that it really lasted. We went about an hour north of where we lived, and we went on this great hike at the state park. And when we were coming out of the state park up this staircase to the land where you park at, there was a present that was perfectly laid out for her, waiting for her. I had organized the whole thing. She opened it up, and it was a brand new iPod. 
iPods had just come on the scene. These were really popular devices at the time. You could buy three different versions at this time. You could buy the one that played roughly 250 songs, one that played about 500 songs, and if you had a lot more money, you could buy one that played about 1,000 songs. I couldn't afford that one. I had bought a lot of other gifts, and I was a youth minister. So I bought her the one that played 500 songs, and, and I thought I was clever. I got her the black version rather than the white version. I was trying to be unique and kind of different with it. And I'll never forget, she looked at it. She had this beaming smile on her face, and then she goes, Is this the one that plays 1,000 songs? <laughs> no, it, it plays 500 songs. And that smile went to curiosity, and she began to stare at the package. My heart kind of jumped in my throat a little. And we got in the car to drive back to our hometown, back to church, because it was Wednesday night and we had youth group. And on the drive, I could see her wheels turning. And she looked over at me and said, would it offend me if she took it back, used her money and got the bigger one and a different color and had it engraved? I said no, but of course my feelings were hurt. It's easy to not want what you have be discontented. And if I'm honest, I don't need to throw other people under the bus about this, right? Because there are all sorts of times in my life that I can count and look at where I've told myself that story that begins like this. If only I had this, then I'd be happy. We tell that story all the time. And I, I think actually we, we tell it unconsciously. If only I had this thing or this reality in my life, then I will feel good, happy, content, fulfilled. That story is not only not the gospel story, it's a lie. When I moved here about eight plus years ago from Illinois, you knew I had a monkey on my back, right? Many of you remember I had this thing called a Ph.D. dissertation that was just on my back. And it took me years to get that thing off. And there's more than one dark night of the soul where I thought to myself, if I could just finally get this Ph.D. under my belt and get those three letters after my name, if that would happen, then I'd feel accomplished, smart, is that the proof I needed to know that I had any intelligence? Or maybe I could feel like legitimate? Or maybe that I could move on to the next thing? Well, it took a number of years, and you were supportive and knew that, and know that for a couple years now I had that completed. Now, I'll never forget going for my graduation two years ago. My only regret was that Colleen couldn't go because she was full term with Max, but my parents and my siblings got to go, and I, I delighted in showing them the campus and taking them to a place called Ye Old Trip to Jerusalem Pub. That's the whole name of this pub founded in 1189. That's such fun. And then I enjoyed donning the, the regalia. It made me feel fancy. I still have it in my closet, and I put it on sometimes just to feel fancy. I don't really do that. I just put it on for here. But I don't do my chores in it. Nevertheless, I felt good about everything that was happening, walking across the stage, hugging my parents. And that goodness, that sense of satisfaction lasted for, I don't know, a week. 
It didn't sustain my happiness. It didn't sustain my contentment. It didn't say you're accomplished, Jared. (laughs) The reality is the insecurity that we all carry with us runs deeper than being able to get a few accomplishments under our belt and then feel like we've dealt with everything. No, there's more to us than that. Is our happiness. Our happiness is a moving target. And if we're not careful, we become malcontented and ungrateful, pitiful persons still with plenty. And that's not a good look, church. Frankly, the reason why is that we tend to live into fear almost more than anything else. Fear is a biological necessity. Fear is not such a bad thing, especially for our ancestors who lived on the African savannas. They had fear inside of them so that they would protect themselves and be ready to run away from big animals, right? But the truth, of sci- the truth of our scientific biology is that we haven't really evolved much past the brains that our ancestors had. So we still have the capacities for, for fear and anxiety that we had way back in the day when life was dangerous all around us. And then now we live in a world where life isn't that dangerous. So fear is quite simply easy for us to slide into. And it's actually easier for us, I would argue, to imagine our catastrophe, to imagine our pain, to imagine our loss, much more so than it is for us to imagine our flourishing. Let me say that again. It is easier for us to imagine our catastrophe than it is for us to imagine our flourishing. And this is everywhere present. It's present when you have the bad thoughts that creep into your head at three in the morning. It's present when we're worried over church budgets. It's present everywhere. Look, we look for what can harm us and assume that that's possibly more real than our flourishing and success. For as many gifts as fear gives us, like being able to outrun or get away from a tiger, I don't think we can outrun tigers, but you know what I mean. It also has a nefarious side. Fear takes us out of the present moment. When we are afraid, we either dwelling on the past, some imagined or real monster from the past that could come and harm us again, or we take us out of the present toward the future and imagine some real or imagined monster that's waiting just to pounce. Fear takes us away from so much of what we're told is good, like being present in the now. But gratitude, on the other hand, gratitude stills our raucous minds into the now, into the present. Gratitude can steep us in the wonder of our blessings. In this way, gratitude is a precondition for our faith. That's right. Did you hear what I said? Gratitude is a precondition for our faith. You see, to be a person of faith, you have to start first with acknowledging the fact that you did not make up your life. You did not invent yourself. You did not imagine yourself into being from nothingness. Your presence in life is a gift. It's a divine donation. 
it is 100% always the case that your very being is a generous gift from God to the world. One cannot live a life of faith if they're living it solely in fear. It's really when you stop and say, this is the day that the Lord has made, not I made, that this is the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. To receive it as a gift. It's doing that that will enable you to walk and live in faith. I was listening this past week to a person recovering from alcoholism. They were telling their story about the fear, the grief, the loss, the shame that they had felt through their journey. And he said to me that it wasn't until he learned about becoming a person of service to others that things start to change. By becoming a person of service for other people, only then was he reminded of all that he had to be grateful for. And then in turn, that gratitude grounded him. It made him present to his life and it gave him energy to be a faithful person of love toward other people. Gratitude is a precondition of our faith. Perhaps that's why I like Thanksgiving. I didn't like it as a kid, though. I don't know about you. See, Halloween's awesome, in my opinion. Who doesn't like candy? Who doesn't like carving pumpkins? Who doesn't like leaves turning colors beautifully? I mean, maybe you don't, but guess what? I loved it. Still do. And then Christmas who doesn't love Christmas? There could be snow on the ground, there's Christmas lights, and then there's presents. Who doesn't like presents? Thanksgiving, at least in Illinois, when we got to Thanksgiving, all the leaves were off the trees, usually. It just seemed kind of barren outside. And then you get together, and then you ate some turkey. I mean, turkey. I only recently started liking it because my sister started making it for Thanksgiving. and She's a chef, so it's good. But, you know, kind of boring, too. Turkey. Now, as an adult, oh, Thanksgiving is almost like medicine in my year. To gather with friends, family, and if you're connected with long bonds, there's a chance that there's going to be strangers at your table. My mom brings strangers around, my sister. We said, we show up, there's people. But to be asked to think about all that you can be grateful for, all that you can account for, and how you have been loved into existence, and how the love of so many people make you who you are, the stories of other people make you who you are, to be reminded of the fact that all of that is grounded in God and all of it participates in God. All of that unfolds in the story that God is making of our lives. Whew. It's like medicine. Yeah, I've been at Peace Street Christian Church for just a little over eight years now. I've been the senior minister almost seven. Sorry, microphone. 
And I got to tell you, it seems like ever since I said yes to being a senior minister and you said yes to me, it seems like it's been one disaster after another. Every year, something big bad happens in the world, right? These haven't been easy years. And it often happens like near now. And then I get to go to Thanksgiving and sit down and go, you know what? This world is God's. It's not mine to save. It's God's to save. This is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice in it. I'm going to be grateful. And then I'm taken out of the past and the future fears, and I'm brought back to the now. And I'm girded up with faith to walk freshly the next steps I have to walk. Hmm. Well, as you celebrate this week, don't forget that this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us all rejoice and be glad in it. Happy Thanksgiving.